Thank you. I rejoiced when I heard them say, let us go to Jerusalem. And surely our, we are now in the presence of our living God. We're going to join together in our opening hymn of worship. Give to our God immortal praise. And if you're able, you are invited to stand with us as we sing. So let's come to God in prayer and when we get to the Lord's Prayer please join in in whatever language and version feels most natural. Next Sunday it will be exactly a year since we close our building formally for redevelopment. At that point we thought we were just a few weeks from signing a contract. Well a year later that's still a long way off but we are still together. Next Sunday, I'm actually going to be away. I'm doing a guest preach down in Hugglescote at my old church. The first time they've invited me back in eight years. I'm not quite sure what that says, but here we go. There we go. 
So it just seemed good in our prayers today to acknowledge the fact that we have been in this hotel for a year, finding welcome and a sense of home, both here and in other borrowed rooms. So let's pray together. God of all times and places, of this time and this place, it's good to meet together in the name of Christ to worship you. Whilst we believe that we may encounter you anywhere and everywhere, it's easy for us to slip into feeling that we can only meet you in special places. So this morning we look back with gratitude to last year and a day when we celebrated your goodness to our church since its foundation in 1883. Once again we express our thanks for all that's been wonderful, beautiful and gracious about our life together in the sanctuary, later in the Trist, and for the precious memories that are so dear to many of us. And today we give you thanks for this place where we can meet most weeks and where, despite hitches and glitches, we share worship and fellowship, build community, laugh, weep, Grumble and celebrate. Truly, you have travelled with us over these months. We look forward in firm hope to a day when we can return to our own premises, when they are made new to honour and serve you for a new generation. We acknowledge before you the tireless determination of those who have laboured on our our behalf through disappointment and even despair but who hold fast to the vision you entrusted us. So God of all times and all places, of this time and this place, grateful that our true and eternal home is found in you, we offer our prayers in the name of your Son, who taught his friends to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
we're going to take up our various offerings for Glasgow City Mission. We're just going to take the gold coins at this time, well, silver coins, the chocolate coins. And I wondered if some of the children would like to come and collect those in these baskets for us. Um, if you fancy doing that, just come out now because I'm, I haven't got time to do volunteering. So I think grown-ups, just stay where you are because the children will come to you. It. Um, so, right, Freya and Sarah, if you can do that side. Oh, um, who's going to... Right, and you two. Actually, Sarah can... Um, Freya, you have um, Bonnie. Sarah and you get... Can you carry the... That's it, and you do that side. And the rest of us will actually sing the song, sitting down, whilst we do that. And it will be organised chaos, and it will be brilliant. <laughs> this side, Sarah. <coughs> these coins that we're offer, giving to Glasgow City Mission and then our children and young people will leave us to go on their trip. God of all goodness, you have blessed us with so much and it is our joy and pleasure to give these small gifts to bring some of that good news and love to children in the less advantaged parts of our city. And we pray that you would go with our own children, young people and those who are going with them as they go off on their outing now. Amen.
The first reading is from the book of Deuteronomy. Every seventh year you shall grant a remission of debts, and this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the claim that is held against a neighbour, not exacting it from a neighbour who is a member of the community, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, but you must remit your claim on whatever any member of your community owes you. There will, however, be no one in need among you, because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a position to occupy. If only you will obey the Lord your God by diligently observing this entire commandment that I command you today. When the Lord your God has blessed you, as he promised you, you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbour. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean, th- a mean thought, thinking the seventh year, the year of remission, is near, and therefore view your needy neighbour with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbour might cry to the Lord against you, and you would incur guilt. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so, for on this account the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbour in your land. If a member of your community, whether a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and works for you for six years, in the seventh year you shall set that person free. And when you send a male slave out from you a free person, you shall not send him out empty-handed. Provide liberally out of your flock, your threshing floor and your wine press, thus giving to him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. For this reason I lay this command upon you today. <clears throat> the second reading is from the Gospel according to Luke. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honour, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honour in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host, and the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then in disgrace you would start to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbours, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous.
I wonder what comes into your mind when you hear the word home. Is it the building in which you reside? The town or the city in which you now live? Is it the nation where you are resident or the one where you were born? Is it a physical location at all? Is home about the possessions with which we surround ourselves? Is it about the people with whom we share a residence? Or a community in which we experience a sense of belonging? For each one of us, the answer to those questions could be very different, and and that's totally fine. Some of us will have a much clearer, strong sense of national identity than others. I think one of the things I noticed when I moved up here eight years ago is Scots have a much, much stronger sense of national identity than the majority, at least, of English people. And that's fine. They're both fine. Some of us love to surround ourselves with photos and mementos, things that people have given us. And that's great. Some of us like to share our homes with cats or dogs or other animals. So it's not easy, is it, defining home? It's much more than just about shelter and some level of security. And as we reach the end of this short series exploring aspects of homelessness, it seemed good after we briefly reminded ourselves of the things we've already reflected on the last couple of weeks to think positively about what home might look like in the light of scripture for us as a Christian community in this city at this time. A couple of weeks ago, we began by thinking about stereotypes of homeless people, often perceived as some kind of lowlife as criminals and addicts. And the fact that actually the vast majority of people who are homeless have lost their homes through no fault of their own, very often because landlords have just simply sold the building over their heads and they have nowhere else to go. And of course, there are many complicated and interrelated factors that can lead to people being homeless, unemployment, family breakdown, mental illness. And we also noted that there are large numbers of healthy, well-paid, educated professionals who are forced to sofa surf because they simply cannot afford the rents of even tiny flats. So being reminded that it's not always easy to tell whether somebody is homeless reminded us more generally how easy it is to make assumptions based on outwards appearances. Last week, for Remembrance Sunday, we looked at homelessness amongst former military personnel, often traumatised by what they have seen and what they've done, struggling to adapt to civilian life and sinking into despair and homelessness. And into that reality, we allowed two wonderful visions, one from the prophet Micah and one from the Gospel of John, to offer us hope a different future in which people of all nations, races and backgrounds could live alongside one another in peace. Rather than homes for heroes, we were offered a vision of mansions for sinners or homes for sinners. 
in which we would all find welcome. And then we had the challenge of what that looks like in the here and now. And alongside the information that we had, we heard from folk in our church who have served as volunteers or employees of charitable organisations reaching out to people who are homeless or at risk of homeless. We heard about Emmaus, about the Glasgow Rent Deposit Scheme and its successors, and Glasgow Helping Heroes. A recognition that these are complicated issues and that one size cannot fit all is reflected in the multifocused, holistic approaches taken by charities, either directly or by collaborating with others. I suspect that many of us somewhere along the way have come across the idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs that says shelter, food and clothing are the first priority. Well, yeah, they're pretty essential, but they don't make for home, do they? Home is more than those, much more nuanced, even perhaps more esoteric. If home means human company then loneliness and isolation are a form of homelessness. If home means a sense of belonging, then xenophobia, homophobia and other phobias all lead to a sense of homelessness. If home means flourishing, anything that prevents that creates homelessness. So, how can we take on board all we've been thinking about and allow it to inform our life together as a church? You know very well that one of our favourite hymns, one of our hymns that we sing a lot and we will be singing again today, and which for us is aspirational, says this, let us build a house where love can dwell and all can safely live. A place where saints and sinners tell how love learns to forgive built of hopes and dreams and visions, rock of faith and vault of grace. Here, the love of Christ shall end divisions. All are welcome in this place. The metaphor of building a house is a good one, and there are plenty of echoes of that in the scripture. That, for example, refers to a temple built of living stones rather than a physical edifice. But the song also, to me, carries a sense of home, of real complicated human relationships, of messiness, of squabbles, of laughter, of trying and failing and trying again, of all ages and stages of life, where the outcast and the stranger really are welcomed, where people who are homeless, literally, societally, emotionally or spiritually, may find and experience home. And all of that is inspired by the love of Jesus. So what might such a home look like? What characteristics will it have that anticipate our vision of our eternal home? It might seem decidedly odd 
to use a reading from the book of Deuteronomy, especially one that takes as a given slavery. How can this fit with anything we're exploring? Well, rather than focusing on the surface reading of these ancient laws, which are a bit troubling, let's be honest about it, we need to dig a bit deeper to the motivation that underlies them. The emerging nation of Israel is becoming successful and powerful, and it risks losing sight of its roots. It's not that long ago that they were slaves in a foreign land, being ill-treated by powerful people. So the starting point has to be a shared humanity. That comes before race, before nationality, gender, politics, religion. Just as you once were, they are told, so now are others to you. I think underlying these commands is the golden rule, which is shared by all cultures, faiths and ideologies. Do to others as you would be done unto, or do as you would be done by, or however you know it from your childhood. Treat other people the way that you would want other people to treat you. The ritualised remission of debts every seven years, which is referred to in this passage, is complicated, and there is almost no evidence to suggest they ever did it. Even so, I think it has some important principles that ought to characterise a community seeking to be a sense of home. Writing off debts is one of the ways that we understand the work of the cross, and it's reflected in some versions of the Lord's Prayer that say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We, most of us, for whatever reason, tend to say trespasses or sins, but um, particularly in Scotland, the use of the word debt is there. So as a community of forgiven sinners, we are called to forgive each other and not to hold grudges. And actually not just once in seven years, but all the time. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter when he was asked how many times he should forgive? He said, well, how about seven times? Because, hey, that's quite good, isn't it? And Jesus went, nah, not seven. Seventy times seven. By which he didn't mean 490, and the 491st time somebody upset you, you could not forgive them. What he meant is you just go on forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. A home for sinners is a place of forgiveness. But what about other debts we might think of? Do we think that somebody owes us in some way? That they should do something or say something or be something because after all, we did this or that for them. We're told to write it off, to let it go. This has no place in our home. Maybe we've held on to grudges or resentments. Maybe we can't forget old injustices or old hurts. We're told there's no place for these. We have to let them go. It's not easy, but that's at the heart of the command. And yes, perhaps there is a place for ritualised letting go every now and then. 
but it should be part of our psyche as individuals and as a community to be forgiving and forgiven to forgive each other to give each other not just second chances and not just 490th chances but endless chances that is what remission of debt forgiveness of sins surely is about But also cut with forgiveness is the idea of open-handed generosity that desires other people to flourish. No one should be left in need. Rather, if needs are identified, then we should be generous in offering support. In the passage, we're not talking about gifts but loans. They're talking about lending things to people. But I think similar logic perhaps applies here. Sometimes it's good for us to lend things to each other. Sorry, I don't think that came out the way I meant it. Basically, yes, we, we can talk about gifts, but we can also talk about loans. And there is a place for loans, is kind of what I'm trying to say. Way, way back in the 1980s, a colleague of mine who lived 20 miles plus away from work had to put their car into a garage for repair. So I lent them my car because I only lived two miles from work. So I walked. And that was fine. We just did it. Didn't even think about it because that's what friends do. And uh, many years later, I was working for another company and I was the one that was 20 miles away from work. And I had a friend who could get the bus to her work, which was about five miles away. And she lent me her car. And she didn't think about it. It was just kind of what you do. If somebody in your family needs something, you lend it to them. I've been very grateful over the last eight years for church folk who've supported me and given me and and done things for me in many ways. I'm very grateful to those who give me lifts all over the place since I gave up my car. I'm grateful to those who cooked and cleaned when I was off sick last year. And there are other things that were very private that people have done, for which I'm really, really grateful. You see, creating home is about looking out for each other supporting each other and if we see somebody needs something then seeing what we can do to help it's about not thinking about me and my needs it's about thinking of others that they might have needs too so generosity with our time our abilities and our possessions is all part of creating home what I really like though about this Deuteronomy reading is the ending. When you set somebody free from slavery, it says, don't just like say, bye, off you go. You've got to set them up. You give them some sheep, you give them some grain so they can plant crops, and you give them some wine so they've got food and drink, basically. Or in our day, the people perhaps who've been enslaved by poverty or homelessness, the people who have just been released from prison, These people all need practical help to get back on their feet, to gain skills, to find employment, to stock their food cupboards, to learn how to cook nutritious meals. This is all among the stuff that Glasgow City Mission has done and continues to do for people in our city. And this is what we're invited to support today, if we can with our money, but all of us with our prayers. So forgiveness generosity, 
building up, equipping, all part of a community that has a sense of home. And then comes along Jesus, who just has to take it a stage further, doesn't he? He got invited to a dinner party. He got invited to a lot of dinner parties, did Jesus. And he was stood there watching everybody. I think, oh, really? He's probably having a good chuckle to himself because as they came in, the people were all trying to get the best seat. Oh, gosh, that's so human, isn't it? <coughs> when we go somewhere, we want to get a seat so we can see. When we come into church, we want that seat that we always sit in. Where can I sit where I'll be noticed? Where can I sit where nobody will notice me? Where can I sit so I can see the flowers or the pianist? Maybe even the preacher. Probably not the preacher, but hey. It's really, really human. This desire that's sort of me-centred, about what I want, about what will fulfil my desires. And Jesus challenged them in two very distinct ways. One about attitude and one about action. Firstly, about their sense of importance and self-interest. He said, look, don't go choosing the best seat because somebody really important might arrive and you'll just have to go and sit in the worst seat because that's the only space that's left. And won't you feel stupid then? Well, we don't do that. But it's really striking to me sometimes when visitors come into our services, sometimes right on the last minute, that we all kind of sit there in our, our seat. Even if there's an empty one next to us. And even if it means they have to split up because there's one seat there and one seat there and one seat there. I'm not saying this to tell anybody off because I'm as guilty of it as anybody I'm just recognising how easy it is to unthinkingly be like the people in Jesus' story, looking after number one and not thinking about anybody else. The second challenge that he comes up with is our desire for nice, happy, reciprocal hospitality. He says, don't go inviting your friends for lunch, knowing that they will invite you back. Oh, no. Throw a banquet, a party, for those people on the margins who could never invite you back because they probably haven't got a house to invite you back to. And they certainly haven't got the wherewithal to give you a grand meal. We can hear this literally, and we can hear it metaphorically. I know it's this story and others like it that inspire people to hold the Christmas Day lunch which this year is going to be at Calvin Side Hill Head, for whoever comes along at no cost and no possibility of a return invitation. I remember one year, two or three years back, Heather brought in a homeless man that she'd just passed by on the street on Christmas Day. He had nowhere to go, and he came and had a meal with us. And another time, there was a man just walked through the door. He'd been driving round on Christmas Day, looking at the outsides of churches, because he felt that this was something somehow connecting him to Christmas. And so he came in and had lunch with us. We have our regulars and we open the door to whoever comes. It is an expression of the love, the banquet that Christ speaks of. But we can also do it metaphorically. 
as well as having an open door and an open welcome for whoever shows up, and to invite them in to share what we have as a community of God's people, as a church. And of course, it does happen now and again that somebody will abuse that invitation. They will take advantage of the generosity that's shown them. There was a time when somebody ripped us off for the tune of £300 to get train tickets, and I later saw them on Crime Watch. But hey, that's okay, because the truth is we do it as our response, because everything we have is a gift to us from God. And yes, there will be people who we would love to invite in yourself. I don't want anything of that, thank you. I would rather be lonely on my own. I'd rather be hungry for love or company or, or whatever. I'd rather stick in my little rut. That's their choice. And of course, there will be some people who come in and upset our ease, that are different from us, that think differently from us, even in all our diversity. Some people who will need to learn how to be part of a community because it's something new. They've never experienced it before. And there will be some people who just never fully adjust. But in this home for sinners, this mansion of God's grace, there has always to be room for one more person. The website of Glasgow City Mission says this. Glasgow City Mission is the world's first city mission. Since 1826, we've been showing Christian care to vulnerable adults and children by fighting against poverty and disadvantage in Glasgow. Through the provision of hot meals, shelter, education and Christian worship, it seeks to help individuals flourish. For us as a community of faith, a church in Glasgow since 1883 and a long-time supporter of Glasgow City Mission, it is a privilege for us to support them prayerfully and practically. It is also important that we hold on to our own calling to create a sense of home for whoever may come through our doors as we learn to forgive, encourage, equip and support each other and any others, whether it's here in the hotel, in the science centre, in the trist or wherever we may meet. And so as we continue to reflect on the challenges of home and homelessness, let's sing that hymn together.
Today we are going to pray with our eyes open, again, we've done it a lot recently, and we're going to use some images to help us to focus our thoughts. (coughs) This week, a painting of Christ attributed to Leonardo da Vinci sold at auction for $450 million dollars. I did some rough calculations and discovered that this much money would allow Glasgow City Mission to serve Christmas dinner to the whole population of Glasgow for round about 87 years. Or, another way of looking at it, enough to give everybody in Glasgow a hot meal every day for about two years. Is a painting really worth so much money? Once, a woman took a very expensive bottle of perfume and poured the whole lot over Jesus' feet, drawing criticism from those gathered, because it could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Jesus' response was this. The poor will always be with you. And so it is. The poor are always with us. Let us pray. Matthew 25. A sculpture of a homeless man sleeping on a park bench, shrouded in a blanket with the exception of his feet, where the presence of nail holes identify him as Jesus. It had been hoped that by now it would be sighted outside St George's Tron Church in the centre of Glasgow. But it remains in a builder's yard, awaiting that installation. Jesus once said, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. (coughs) On another occasion, a rich young man asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. He went away deeply sad when Jesus told him to sell his possessions and give all the proceeds to the poor. Homeless Jesus, shivering in the cold and wet, huddled in doorways, sleeping rough in Kelvin Grove Park or under the Highlandman's umbrella in Argyle Street. Shock us afresh by the tragedy that the poor are still with us. Not because the proceeds of selling beautiful or precious objects and artefacts are not directed towards the poor, but because human greed closes our hearts and minds to meet the needs of others. And because our own limited efforts seem so inadequate in the face of such huge need. Help us to hold our possessions lightly, able to enjoy them 
and to delight in our blessings without becoming trapped by them. So that if and when you lead, we may be generous, even sacrificial in our giving to others. Our Last Supper, one of many paintings displayed at St George's Tron Church of Scotland, who partner with and support, among many others, Glasgow City Mission. The disciples in this painting are all men associated with the mission. And the truth is that for many of them, any meal could literally be their last supper. This is the painting our children and young people are visiting this morning. One practical means of support in this church, the St George's Tron Church, is via the Wild Olive Tree Cafe, where customers can choose to pay for a suspended hot drink or lunch to be given to a homeless person or a vulnerable person. At Jesus' last meal with his friends, he said to them, Whenever you eat bread, whenever you drink wine, remember me. Table sharing Jesus. Gathered in a borrowed room with your frail and failing friends, eating, drinking, singing and praying. Help us to remember you not only in the formality of our communion services, but in every meal. Help us in that remembering, not only to recall, but to remember, to put back together the vast community of which we are but a tiny part, a communion of saints and sinners, bound together by our love for you. Today, we pray especially for the work of Glasgow City Mission, working tirelessly to bring hope to vulnerable people in this wonderful city where we are privileged to dwell. Salvador Dali's Christ of St John of the Cross. Iconic. Beautiful. Property of Glasgow Museums for which the sum of £8,200, roughly £300,000 in today's money, was paid in the 1950s. Attracting huge numbers of visitors when displayed in its home gallery and frequently on loan to other galleries around the world, it's had its share of controversy over the years. Both from the Glasgow School of Art who felt that works by local artists should have been purchased and by someone who vandalised it in the early 1960s. There is also an unsubstantiated claim that the Spanish government offered to pay £80 million to buy it. Voted as Scotland's favourite painting by 29% of those who voted it continues to inspire most people who visit it. As he hung helpless on the cross, Jesus uttered many words. 
of abandonment and desolation, of forgiveness and promise, of physical need and spiritual truth. Seven sayings. As we quietly focus on this image, we hear again his words. And as we do so, bring our private prayers to Jesus the Christ. Father, forgive them. They don't know what it is they are doing. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Behold your son, your mother, your new family. Have you abandoned me? Why have you abandoned me? I'm thirsty. It is completed. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Death defeating Saviour Christ, accept our prayers offered in your precious name. Amen.
loving and generous God who always has a welcome for us. We bring these gifts of money, some for our own church and some for the work of Glasgow City Mission and pray that all will be employed to continue to extend that welcome to whosoever will may come. Amen. Our closing hymn is a modern version of the Magnificat of Mary's song, which was very prophetic. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. As we go from here to our homes, to visit people we love, to work or to play, may we know the blessing of God's love, the friendship of Jesus and the comfort of the Holy Spirit now and always.